Welcome to Shipwreck Sunday, where we investigate disasters at sea and the impact that they have on the world today. My name is Eleanor, and here with me is my co-host, Eric. Hello. Today, we will be exploring the sinking of ocean liner-turned-troop transport RMS Lancastria. Before we dive in, we must inform you. This story does include details of a maritime disaster resulting in the sinking of a vessel, Nazism, wartime violence, a failed military evacuation, and death that may be disturbing to some audiences. Viewer discretion is advised. Please note, before we begin, that neither Eleanor nor I are mariners or experts in the field of maritime history, but we have done our research and will present the information as we understand it and with accurate nautical terminology. In today's episode, we will be discussing some controversy and fuzzy details surrounding the sinking of RMS Lancastria, and will be transparent when we come across unconfirmed information. Before we get started, we will go over the basics of nautical terminology. The bow is the very front part of the ship, and the very back end of it is called the stern. The port side is the left, and the starboard side is the right. Propellers are sometimes referred to as screws. The hull is the metal side of the ship. The keel is the very bottom of it, and the superstructure is the top deck, usually made of wood. Smokestacks, or funnels, are large tunnels on top of the ship used to direct steam and smoke away from the deck. Masts are large wooden poles on the deck of the ship, usually used to hoist sails or hold a crow's nest where crew members can see from miles around the vessel. Beam is a measurement that refers to the width of the ship. Thank you, Derek. Today, we will start our story off by giving some background information on the company that built RMS Lancastria, Cunard Line, and the government operation that RMS Lancastria found herself in. Cunard is a shipping company that still is in existence today, though it is now under the Shepherd of Carnival. Cunard is a British cruise line that was founded by Samuel Cunard and ship designer Robert Napier in 1840, first being organized as the British and North American Royal Mail Steam Packet Company based out of Glasgow, Scotland. Between 1840 and 1870, the company held the blue ribbon for the fastest Atlantic voyage, but began to fall behind as White Star Line and the Inman Line began to grow in popularity. Because of this, the company reorganized and became Cunard Steamship Company Limited in 1879. Due to White Star Line partnering with J.P. Morgan's International Mercantile Marine Company in 1902, Cunard was approached by the British government with a tantalizing proposition. If they created ships that could be easily requisitioned in times of war, they would receive a handsome stipend for building fast, beautiful ocean liners. Cunard accepted, and two superliners were created. RMS Mauritania and RMS Lusitania, the latter being torpedoed and sunk in 1915. In 1919, Cunard relocated from Liverpool to Southampton, where they are still based out of today. After the Cunard White Star merger in 1934, the company completed the famous Queen Mary and Queen Elizabeth before buying out White Star Line's shares in 1947 returning to the name Cunard. A company that is almost 200 years old is still creating beautiful ocean liners today and providing speedy, luxurious transatlantic services, and that is something ship enthusiasts can celebrate. RMS Lancastria was an ocean liner built for the illustrious Cunard line and was requisitioned for wartime service upon the onset of World War II. Requisition is an official order laying claim to the use of property or materials, and in both world wars, ocean liners were utilized for many purposes. 
World War II was one of the last conflicts that utilized ocean liners and requisitioned ships for transports, hospital ships, or armed merchant cruisers. Ocean liners made poor armed merchant cruisers and after World War I were primarily requisitioned for usage as transport ships or hospital ships due to their large size, speed, and efficiency. RMS Lancastria was built by William Beardmore and Company for Anchor Line, a Scottish subsidiary of Cunard, in 1920 in Dalmere, Scotland, just outside of Glasgow. She was launched in the River Clyde under her original name, Tyrrhenia, as the sister ship of RMS Cameronia that had been built for the previous year. Tyrrhenia, later Lancastria, was 578 feet long, had a 70-foot beam, and was a twin screw propelled by six steam turbines that could reach speeds of up to 16.5 knots. She was 16,243 gross registered tons and could carry 2,200 passengers divided into three classes. She was launched on May 31st of 1920 and she embarked on her maiden voyage from Glasgow to Montreal, Canada on June 19, 1922. Two years later in 1924, she was refitted to only two classes since shipping companies were pushing that direction and her name was changed to Lancastria due to the complaints of passengers being unable to pronounce her original name. I don't blame them. That is a mouthful. <laughs> I agree. RMS Lancastria dutifully sailed scheduled routes between Liverpool and New York City until 1932, then being used as a cruise ship in the Mediterranean Sea and Northern Europe. For anyone unclear of the difference, usually cruise ships disembark and embark from the same port where ocean liners typically make a transatlantic or transpacific voyages. As a cruise ship, RMS Lancastria rescued the crew of Belgian cargo ship SS Scheldestad on October 10, 1932, in the Bay of Biscay. In 1934, Lancastria was charted by the Catholic Boy Scouts of Ireland for pilgrimage to Rome, and in May of 1936, she made a specifically commissioned cruise to visit war memorials in Malta Salonica, Gallipoli, and Istanbul with influential passengers on board like Admiral of the Fleet Roger Kayes, Field Marshal William Birdwood, and Commodore Edward Unwin. When Germany invaded Poland in September of 1939 and thus began World War II, RMS Lancastria was on a cruise in the Bahamas. RMS Lancastria was immediately ordered from Nassau to New York for refitting. She had been requisitioned as a troop ship, transitioning from RMS Lancastria to HMT Lancastria. HMT stands for His Majesty's Troop Ship. Much like when RMS Britannic was acquired in World War I, unnecessary fittings like chandeliers or fancy railings were removed and she was painted a plain slate gray, the portholes were blacked out, and a four-inch gun was installed. After these changes were made, she was first used to ferry troops and supplies from Canada across the Atlantic Ocean to the United Kingdom. In April of 1940, HMT Lancastria was one of the 20 troop ships that participated in Operation Alphabet, which was the evacuation of troops out of Norway. She was bombed on the return journey, but she escaped unscathed. Shortly thereafter, HMT Lancastria carried troops to consolidate the invasion of Iceland, and upon returning to Glasgow, her captain insisted that surplus oil in her tanks be emptied, but there just wasn't enough time before she was ordered to Liverpool once more for another refit. Most of her 300 crew were either discharged or sent on leave at this point, before she'd be urgently recalled back to sea and the crew would be rounded back up in June of 1940. 
We have reached HMT Lancastria's final voyage in 1940. Just a reminder to our listeners before we continue, what are we about to describe does include details of the sinking of a vessel, Nazism, wartime violence, a failed military evacuation, and death that some audience members may find disturbing. Listener discretion is advised as we continue. Within just a few hours of docking at Liverpool for her refit, HMT Lancastria was called upon yet again. Loudspeakers at the main railway stations were successful in recovering most of the crew, and they embarked on their journey. By June 15th of 1940, Lancastria and crew arrived in Plymouth to wait for further instruction. Alongside the 20,341-ton ocean liner Franconia, Lancastria made her way to Quiberon Bay off the coast of France in order to participate in Operation Ariel. The evacuation of the remainder of the British expeditionary force had been cut off to the south of the German advance through France. This amounted to a staggering 124,000 men at multiple ports. After she was not needed for the evacuation from Lorient, Lancastria and her captain Rudolf Sharp continued to the port of St. Nazaire. On the way toward the port, an air raid damaged Franconia, and she turned toward London for repairs, leaving Lancastria to continue on alone. She arrived at the mouth of the Lower River Lade on June 16th, and Lancastria anchored at the Charpentier Roads around 4 a.m. June 17, 1940, due to the fact that the river has to be accessed through a tidal channel. She was surrounded by roughly 30 other merchant vessels. Early that morning, three Royal Navy Reserve officers came aboard to ask Captain Rudolf Sharp how many troops could be evacuated. Captain Sharp replied that during Operation Alphabet, he'd evacuated 2,653 men out of Norway, and so he could safely take 3,000, quote, in a pinch. This did not impress the Royal Navy officers, who informed Captain Sharp he would need to evacuate as many soldiers as humanly possible without regard to the limits of international law. Essentially, this was seen as dire as the Dunkirk evacuation, and men were to be evacuated standing shoulder to shoulder if need be. With no limitations set for Lancastria, troops were ferried out to the ship and the other waiting troop ships by destroyers, tugboats, fishing boats, and other small watercraft, taking around three or four hours under machine gun fire from German aircraft. Thankfully, no one was killed at this time. By mid-afternoon on June 17th, Lancastria embarked with an unlogged number of troops. It's been estimated between 4,000 people up to possibly 9,000. This included 40 civilian refugees, including embassy staff and employees of Ferry Aviation of Belgium and their families. One Royal Navy Engineers officer reported that he had been told by one of Lancastria's loading officers that over 7,200 people had come aboard, and Captain Sharp estimated the number to be around 5,500. Either way, still well above the maximum capacity of 1,300. This large amount of people was crammed into any space that was available, including the three enormous cargo holds. At 1.15 in the afternoon, the nearby 20,000-ton Orient liner Oranse was hit on the bridge by a German bomb during an air raid. Lancastria was given permission to leave and was actually advised to do so by HMS Havelock, a British destroyer, but without an escort as a defense from submarines, much like what would happen to MV Wilhelm Gustloff, Sharp decided to wait for Oranse. At 3.50 that afternoon, a fresh air raid began by Junkers Ju-88 bombers from the squadron Konfenschwader 
1930. During this fatal air raid, HMT Lancastria was hit by either three or four bombs, including one rumored to have gone straight down her smokestack and exploding below decks. Despite eyewitnesses' testimony from engineering officer Frank Brogdon that contradicts this, it is more than likely a bomb went straight down the funnel because of how quickly Lancastria foundered, around 15 to 20 minutes. Brogdon claims this bomb instead landed near the funnel and exploded hold number four, with two more bombs quickly hitting hold numbers two and three. A fourth landed close to the port side of the vessel, rupturing fuel tanks. If this testimony is true, even with the substantial damage, the ship would have lasted longer than it did, making the story of a bomb going down her funnel even more likely. Due to this, we are going to confidently say that the first bomb that hit indeed went down her funnel. As the ship began to list to the starboard side, orders were given for everyone to shuffle to the port side to counteract the list. Unfortunately, this caused a port side list that could not be corrected and would prove fatal for the ship. The ship was equipped with 16 lifeboats and 2,500 life vests, not nearly enough for the estimated 4,000 to 9,000 on board. To worsen this fact, most of the lifeboats could not be lowered due to the listing of the ship or the damage sustained during the air raid. The first lifeboat to be lowered was filled with scared women and children, but it capsized upon landing in the water and a second boat had to be lowered for them. The third boat launched caved in from being launched too quickly. Men jumped over the side of the ship in order to save themselves, many of them dying immediately from breaking their necks as they either smacked into the hull of the ship or hit the water and their life vests sprung up, snapping their necks backward. A Lancastria began to completely capsize. Some of those still on board were able to scramble onto her underbelly. Interestingly enough, there is a rumor that we see both in the Titanic tragedy and in this tragedy, the rumblings of a final song being sung by the passengers, either confirmed or denied by eyewitnesses. In the case of HMT Lancastria, as it capsized, it is rumored that those on the underside of the ship belted out, roll out the barrel, and they'll always be in England. If this is true, it's quite the inspiring moment to stick it to the man from people who surely knew they would succumb to the sinking of the ship. This is hotly debated, however, with some survivors strongly denying this ever happened. HMT Lancastria finally was pulled under at 4.12pm, within 20 minutes of being hit by the first bomb. This gave the other evacuation vessels in the vicinity little time to react, with many in the water drowning because of the insufficient number of life jackets, dying from hypothermia or being choked out by the fuel oil in the water around them. According to Jonathan Fenby, in his novel The Sinking of the Lancastria, German aircraft also strafed the survivors bobbing in the water, adding to the death toll. As other ships around Lancastria sprang into action, they rescued survivors out of the water. HMT Cambridgeshire rescued 900, with Captain W.G. Easton recommending many of his men for awards, including Stanley Kingett for making repeated journeys in a lifeboat to pick up exhausted men from the water while under machine gun fire from enemy planes, and William Perrin for keeping up continuous machine gun fire in an attempt to prevent enemy planes from machine gunning men in the water. These two men are shining examples of the bravery of the rescue effort in order to save as many as they could from the sinking, including Captain Rudolf Sharp, who survived and went on to Captain RMS Lincolnia, dying on September 12, 1942, when RMS Lincolnia was sunk off the coast of West Africa. In the sinking of AHMD Lancastria, there were only 2,477 survivors of an estimated 4,000 to 9,000 on board. Of these survivors, about 100 of them were still alive in 2011. 
The death toll is widely debated due to the fact that it's truly unknown how many were aboard when she sank. With families of missing British Expeditionary Force, or BEF, members assuming they either were a part of the one out of three of the BEF deaths in the France that died on the sinking or part of the other two out of three. Lancastria Association, an organization determined to protect the wreckage, honor the victims, and remember the survivors of HMT Lancastria, has only been able to confirm 1,738 people's names known to have been killed in the incident. In 2005, Fenby estimated the death toll to be 4,000 to 6,500, with that number often being estimated to 7,000, making this the worst single vessel loss of life in British maritime history. Alongside MV Wilhelm Gusloff and the Goya, it is considered one of the worst losses of life at sea in history. The loss of life was so massive that British Prime Minister Winston Churchill immediately suppressed the news outlets from reporting on it in the Western world through what was known as the D-Notice system. In the United Kingdom, the D-Notice or DSMA notice is an official request to news editors not to publish or broadcast items on specified subjects, usually for a reason of national security. The reasoning Churchill gave to his staff for this block was flimsy at best, quote, the newspapers have got quite enough disaster for today at least. This D notice wouldn't be lifted for a few weeks, with Churchill giving the reason in his memoir as pure negligence. He intended to release the news a few days later, but that events in France, quote, crowded upon us so black and so quickly I forgot to lift the ban. That's a pretty pathetic excuse. I think so as well. The people deserved to know. And we still don't know all of the truth, as some of it is still possibly suppressed by the British government 82 years later. Nazi Germany, however, didn't waste any time reporting on the sinking. The disaster was proudly boasted about on the English-speaking radio program Germany Calling by William Joyce, better known by his stage name Lord Ha Ha. However, he made many outlandish claims in his career that discredited himself, making himself notoriously unreliable and untrustworthy in the eyes of the German public. The story finally broke on July 25th in the United States by the Press Association, in the New York Times, and the next day in the UK by the Scotsman. This was more than five weeks after the sinking. It was devastating for the family members who had not been informed what was going on and had only learned of this five weeks after losing their loved ones. In July of 2007, another formal request for documents still being held by the Ministry of Defense related to the sinking of HMT Lancastria was rejected by the British government on the grounds of national security. Lancastria Association of Scotland made yet another request in 2009, and they were informed that release would not be given due to several exemptions. With survivors and families of victims and survivors continuing to push for information, the Ministry of Defense stated in 2015 that all known documents had long since been released through the National Archives and was available to the public. She sank around five nautical miles south of Chemulin Point in the Charpentier Roads. She sank around five nautical miles south of Chemulin Point in the Charpentier Roads, around nine nautical miles from Saint Nazaire. The government of the United Kingdom has still not made the site a war grave under the protection of the Military Remains Act 1986, the reasoning cited as a lack of jurisdiction over French territorial waters, despite other wrecks in the area being protected. However, the French government gave the site legal protection as a war grave in 2006 with pressing from the British government. There are many memorial sites all over Great Britain 
commemorating the loss of HMT Lancastria and everyone aboard her, with Lancastria Association of Scotland continuing to hold a commemorative service each year on June 17th. We hope to honor the victims and survivors of HMT Lancastria in this episode and encourage everyone to lend support to Lancastria Association of Scotland as they continue to honor this beautiful ocean liner and the heroic, wonderful people who tragically went down with her. You can lend your support as well as access archives regarding the Lancastria at the association's website, www.lancastria.org.uk To the survivors and their families, thank you for continuing to share your stories with the world. Thank you for tuning in to Shipwreck Sunday. If you liked this episode and are listening on YouTube, please give us a like, leave us a comment, and subscribe to our channel. If you like this episode and are listening on Spotify, Samsung Podcasts, Amazon Music, or another podcast service, please subscribe for more content and leave us a five-star review as it does help us reach more listeners like you. Tune in next Sunday for the story of SS Carl D. Bradley, a Great Lakes cargo freighter that sank in Lake Michigan in 1958. Don't forget to check out our sister podcast, Slasher Saturday. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time.